Now, as I prepared my message for this morning from these glorious portions in the book of Revelation, uh, I felt led of the Lord to confine all that I might have to say to that single portion that I read to you in Revelation 19.11, where it says, And I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. I'd like to end with the part there where it says, And he that sat upon him was Faithful and True. And the reason I'm holding here is probably triple now. First, it was just because we're coming to the Lord's Supper this morning. And then, of course, with our brother Steve's entrance to heaven, and the fact that unless the Lord Jesus had opened the door to heaven to you and to me through Christ, there would be no such supper as we observe this morning, no remembrance of his death until he comes again. And so it's with special, special joy in my heart that I think of these blessed, blessed portions of God's Word. And to know that uh, the doors of heaven are mentioned many times. The doors of heaven are mentioned in the book of Revelation. The door to heaven is mentioned four times up to Revelation 4.1, the first chapter. And those doors are very, very blessed doors. There are the doors to heaven that are spoken of as the place in Revelation 3 where it tells us that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And here we think of Jesus knocking on a door of our hearts, the door to the heart, the knob on the inside, and we are to open to him. In that same verse, it says, and if any man will open the door, that's the door of entrance. I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. And then the third door mentioned is in Revelation 3, 8. And that says, an effectual door has been opened unto me for witnessing. The door, number one, we have to open for Christ to come in as our personal Savior. The door, number two, is that glorious entrance, if you'll invite me in. Jesus says, I will come in with you and sup with you and you with me. And then the door of witness. An effectual door has been opened unto me. And then in chapter 4, 1, John says that a door was opened into heaven and God calls up the church at this point to himself and then says, now I'll show you the things that shall be. And then goes right up to Revelation 19 with all of the judgments of God that are yet coming upon the earth. So there are many doors mentioned in heaven. 
in entrance to heaven. Above all doors is Jesus himself when he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, that's John 10, 9, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So that Jesus Christ is the very door himself. So that when he says, no man comes to the Father but by me, you can understand he is the door of entrance. That's the only way you can come in. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. No man comes to the Father but by me. Because it is an impossibility for us to get into the presence of God unless sins are cleansed away and we're forgiven. And God has become our Father through our faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. He is not your Father by natural birth. Remember that. All that is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so the mere fact that you came into this world does not entitle you to the Father's house. He, we read in John 14, is preparing a place for us. For who? For the world? No. He says, Father, I pray not for the world, but I pray for those that thou hast given me out of the world. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. So it's for us that that place is being prepared. And so these doors to heaven are glorious doors. But here it says heaven itself was opened in this portion in Revelation. Heaven was opened wide. In John, in Revelation 4, it says a door was opened to heaven. This was for the church to come in. Christ is the door. This is the way of entrance. And then in Revelation 19, it says that heaven was opened itself for the family of God and all of those surrounding him, his household, to come forth with the King of kings and the Lord of lords of all the earth, leading them that they might witness his final triumph over all the world and all the kings and all the rulers will be put down and then will bring in his millennial kingdom and his millennial reign and his bride shall be with him in glory. I think this is an amazing, amazing thing to me. I just, in my heart, in my mind, I try to imagine, what is this going to be like? The reality of it is so real to my soul. There's no bit of doubt, no old wives' fables, no fairy tale. If I could get young people to see and conceive of what I, as an older man, can see, I wish that when I were young I had known Christ as my personal Savior. But it wasn't until I was 38 years of age that I found Christ as my personal Savior. But to have known him as a young person and the reality of it, to grasp it. I don't believe that the average Christian heart actually conceives of what is in store for us. That we are going to come with Christ from the pavilions of heaven. We're going to be translated into his presence. Steve has gone by death. 
into the presence of Jesus Christ, absent from the body and present with the Lord. But, beloved, it may be that some of us here, and I could not help but think when I was thinking about Steve. Steve used to say to me regularly, you know, I hope you give me two or three years to get to Jesus before you do so I don't have to work quite as hard as I've been working all these years for Jesus. He says, I'll just have a little rest while I'm waiting for you. Now, I don't know whether his words are prophetic or not, but I do know that the Lord Jesus himself is coming and he's going to translate us and from the pavilions of heaven we're going to come with him, him on the white horse, it tells us, and all of his own following him, all on white horses and clothed in white raiment, the conqueror and all of his family with him, and all of the household, and all of the angels. For it tells us in the scripture that he will come with his angels, bringing fiery judgment upon this world. But I couldn't help but think, what a shock this is going to be to some of the evolutionists when they see Adam and Eve in the entourage. And when they see Abraham, but especially Adam and Eve, how this thrills my heart. I can just picture the feeling, you know, to see Adam and Eve. You mean they really existed? Yeah, they really existed. God created man in his own image and in his own likeness. They really existed. Your trouble is, scientists who know not Christ, that you keep searching backward and backward and you find all kinds of generations of beings before this man that I am. But this man is Adamic and came from Adam. And all of the other creatures you look for and they're fossilized back for 10 and 20 and 40 and 100 million years, I care not. All I know is that this man is in Adam. And God said so. And in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. And then it's wonderful to know that on this earth, this little place that you and I live on, this planet here, God's whole scene of redemption for the universe took place. That even science frankly admits now that on no planet could this man exist as he is. Oh, they didn't know that before. They used to say, we'll probably find him on Mars. We'll probably find him on Venus. But now, they say, frankly, no man like this man could exist in the atmosphere of any other planet. And so this is that particular scene where God has put his redemption work and has opened heaven to mankind so that we can know that he that believeth on the Son hath life and shall never come into condemnation, but is already passed from death unto life. And this is Steve's lot, that he is now with his Savior. But I couldn't help but think about not only the openings to heaven, but I couldn't help but think of heaven's increasing joys. Can I say that? Heaven is not going to be a place that we enter and that is it. 
It's increasing joys. It's not just a beginning and a period. There is an eternity in which we're going to enjoy Jesus Christ and his home. And so for your edification and for my own heart this morning, I had just listed some of the things that will be ever-increasing joys. In other words, we're going to start, basically. We're going to see Jesus face to face. That's the wonderful thing. We're going to see Jesus face to face. And we're going to be in his home. Isn't that wonderful? I go to prepare what? A place. It's a place. Let's remember that. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus cannot what? Lie. Impossible. God cannot lie. And so we can know that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Heaven is a place. Praise the Lord. We're going to see Jesus face to face. First John, we know no, not what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then, what? Face to face. We're going to see Jesus. And so, we're not only going to be in heaven as our home for all eternity, but we're going to see Jesus in that place he's preparing for you and for me. And we're going to be with him. That's just the beginning. Our most hallowed expectations of heaven are as nothing compared to what heaven shall be. Eye hath not seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. We have a little taste because Christ comes into our hearts and we have a taste of heaven. But we haven't seen it yet. Eye has not seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for them that love him. The Spirit has just revealed this to us so we have a hunger for heaven as our home. And then, if I can go on from that point, how glorious it is to know that when we get there, we're going to see loved ones who knew Christ and have gone on before. Heaven. And heaven was opened. And the whole family of God came out together. That's what it says. Revelation 19. I saw heaven open. And the King of kings and Lord of lords came out, and then those that followed him, all on white horses, clothed in white raiment, clean and white. This is the church's clothing, you see. And so we come forth from heaven, and we're going to be with those loved ones who've gone on to be with Christ before. Seeing our loved ones, how blessed that's going to be. And to know that they're identifiable. To know that you're going to know them that we shall be caught up together with them, that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah were recognized. That Jesus, in speaking about uh, Lazarus, speaks of him by name, though he's dead, recognizable, gloriously so. Wouldn't it be terrible if those of us who love each other, husbands and wives, who love each other tenderly in the Lord Jesus Christ, were to get to heaven and not know each other? 
What a terrible thing that would be. But how blessed to know that we're going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air and then shall we ever be with the Lord. Heaven opened to receive us and then heaven opened to allow us to come out as Christ has his final victory over the earth and establishes his millennial reign as King of kings and Lord of lords upon this earth. And we're coming forth with all those we love. I can't think, I'm going to recognize Paul. And I've got a lot of things I want to talk to Paul about. I've got a lot of things that he wrote in the scriptures that I want to speak to Paul about. Wonderful things. I remember that Peter says, Paul hath written some things that are difficult to understand. In other words, he's saying he had a special revelation from God. And there are some things that some people, he says, wrestle with. But he says, realize that this is God's word. And if we have any interpretations that are not exactly as God wanted it, one day, I'm so thankful I used to sit under Dr. Barnhouse. I'm going to sit under Dr. Paul, if I can put it that way. And I'm going to have him speak to me. I can't imagine how glorious that will be. To have the great apostle who wrote half the New Testament speak and to sit at his feet. How blessed. And to see Abraham. And to see Noah. And to see all the Old Testament saints. Recognition. Wouldn't it be foolishness to get to heaven and not know anybody? But to think that there'll be recognition. I will recognize my son, whom I lost, who went to be with Christ. I really gained him because I'll see him again. But I will see him. All I know is that God will identify my son to me and it will be the most beautiful identification I could ever know. All I know for you is this, that if your loved one goes on before and I recognize there's no marriage in heaven or giving in marriage or anything of this character, but I do know this, that if you have loved a dear wife or a dear husband or a son or a daughter and you meet them in glory, the love that you will have for them will be deeper and richer than any love you ever knew before, deeper than a husband and wife relationship upon this earth, though you may not be able to conceive of it, that's the kind of love you're going to have for your mate which will be deep and holy and pure and wonderful and all of those little idiosyncrasies that annoyed you in life will all be gone. Won't that be wonderful? Are there anybody, is there anybody perfect here today? Raise your hand, we'd all love to see it. But isn't it blessed to know that you who love Christ together, when you see your Savior face to face, all of the failures of your life. And oh, we can be such terrible failures. All of our failures as mates, as mothers, as fathers, as sons and daughters, all wiped away. As the Lord says, all the wood, hay and stubble is burned away and all that remains is the precious stones, the silver and the gold. And then to see each other and have that perfect love for each other. Isn't that glorious? Listen, you don't know what love is yet. Your love is too associated with the flesh. It's still there. You can't get away from that. It's involved with the flesh. 
And when you get there, it will be a complete love and a recognition of all the holy, beautiful characteristics of a husband and wife brought up to the very epitome of their glory so that together you can enjoy each other for all eternity. How blessed and how wonderful. I believe that God will certainly associate me with this church. I wouldn't expect that I would be caught up together to be with Christ. Most of my own earthly family I'll never see. I dread saying that. But relatives and those who never would listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will never see. This is my family. If you're fortunate enough to have an earthly family who also know Christ together, I think that's glorious and wonderful. But I'm so glad to know that my children know Christ. And that their mates know Christ. And though I may not know a thing about my father and my grandfather because they all died when I was young, a boy, I know nothing about them. I have no knowledge of their salvation. Yet do I know that when I see Jesus, I will be identifiable and he will not look at me as something, but he will look at me as Martin and call me Martin. And it's the same for you. He knoweth his sheep by name. You're identifiable. Heaven is an ever-increasing joy to see Jesus, to be in his home forever. Can you imagine that moment, that celestial moment, when death comes and the last breath comes here, if Jesus doesn't return and you have your first breath up there and you see Jesus face to face, can you imagine that celestial moment when you look at your Savior and there are the nail-pierced hands? I died for you, my son. You accepted me in your life. Enter in to thy reward. What a glorious moment. And then there's ever-increasing joys beyond that. Taking part in the rapture, if we should have part in the rapture of the church while we're alive or whether we're dead, it makes no difference. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. So whether you die, some people used to think, you know, if you die, you're going to miss the rapture. But the scripture is very clear. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those that are asleep. We'll be caught up together to meet the Lord. So that loved ones who've gone on before, those of us who may be here when the rapture comes of the church and Christ comes for his own. And beloved, let me say, as I look around this world and I see the scene, I have to say, even as a born-again Christian who loves Christ and a preacher of the word of God, when I read that portion where it says, and men's hearts shall fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth, that I look at my little family and my children, and they're still young, and I think to myself, what have you if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because this world is slowly deteriorating, and we see its precipitous decline in this age we're living in. So what would you have to offer to your children? Nothing. Nothing. But to know that 
together at the rapture of the church, whether we've died, we'll be with those who are alive and remain, and caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds and the air, and then shall we ever be with the Lord. And this great body of the church, the bride of Christ, is the one that is spoken of here in Revelation 19.11, and I saw heaven opened. And then you read right down 12 and 13 and 14, and you find that he says, and those that came with him, oh, how blessed, I saw heaven opened. Notice, and the armies, the 14th verse, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And this is the righteousness of the saints. And so there's this glorious coming forth. Let me ask you something. Is it real to you this morning? Are you looking forward with great expectancy in your heart toward that day? Is your life geared that way? Or are you seeking to get as much as you can for yourself? Steve's been retired for 10 years now serving Christ. But what always thrilled me, and I can say it now that Steve is gone, 25% of his retirement income came into the coffers of this church to be used of God. He knew... He knew where he was going. And he just couldn't give enough of both himself and his substance to God. And oh, what a mark upon the man. What a mark upon the man. And so, beloved, for you and for me this morning, oh, there's a lot of other things. This increasing joys for the church of Jesus Christ knowing that we've escaped God's terrible wrath. Imagine being part of the bride of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, standing before Christ's judgment seat. I put a question mark after that one because I just don't know how happy a situation that's going to be for you. But I think there are increasing joys for those who've been faithful to Jesus Christ and will stand at that judgment seat. Hearing his voice tell you of the souls that were saved through your witness that you didn't even know about. You gave out some tract on the subway. You gave out some blessed word of God to some friend. And you never knew that they found Christ as their personal Savior. While I was sick in the hospital and while I was home ill, I got letter after letter that had one thing to say to me. Pastor... I never told you that I found Christ through your ministry. Never would have known it. If the Lord had taken me home, I never would have known. No hand was raised. And then I remembered back in Dr. Bonhouse's day when I used to go to his class, and I can remember one time he said, tell me how many in the congregation have come to Christ through my ministry, and it amazed him. All the hands that went up because he preached the word of God. And so, won't it be wonderful, that increasing joy of hearing your witness bore fruit for Jesus Christ, and that fruit really remains. Then seeing Jesus set up his millennial kingdom. Can you picture that, how glorious that's going to be? Any idea of that? Seeing Satan chained. Seeing the forces of evil defeated. Seeing death and hell and sin cast into the lake of fire. Aren't you looking forward to this? I am. Imagine the might and the power of Jesus Christ 
He's going to bring all evil to an end. And boy, we've got plenty of it on earth today. He's going to bring it all to an end. And during that millennial kingdom on earth here, 1,000 years before the final eternal kingdom, he's going to rule the earth with a rod of iron. And righteousness shall be in the earth with the Lord as King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can you conceive of the tremendously glorious increasing joys of the church of Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to this? How keen is your faith and how real is your faith this morning? Do you have this great expectancy in your soul this morning? Are you looking to the Lord's coming? I don't know what you're looking to otherwise. I look at men and rulers and nations and I have to say if I listen to the politicians on television and radio, I wonder where we're going. Seems to me all they're interested in is getting elected. I hear a lot of promises. All this, but beloved, there is nothing that's going to settle the world's problems except the coming of Jesus Christ to establish a righteous kingdom, which man can never establish. And so we're looking with great expectancy to the coming of Jesus Christ and the glory of his kingdom. And heaven was opened, and he came forth riding on a white horse. And on his thigh, it says later, was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And his vesture was dipped in blood. It's my savior, my captain, my king, the coming ruler of all the earth. Oh, saints of the Lord this morning, praise your God at your tables today, thank your Lord that you're not concerned about a dying world. It's dying. That you have the hope of a new heaven and a new earth in which shall dwell righteousness forever and ever and ever. The true church is the only one that has that hope. The world outside knows not a thing about that hope. But unto us, it's the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And this is to bring about that kingdom that all mankind has yearned for and not been able to find. And it is only to be found in Jesus Christ ruling in this world. So that is the hope of the church. And that's the increasing joys of the church, to know this as members of the body of Christ. Let us pray. Father. We do thank Thee for this that we can know this morning, despite all of the trials and the burdens of life, that Jesus Christ is the answer. And Father, we pray that You touch our hearts. Lord, we've been mindful that one of our own beloved ones is now in Your presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Father, what a joyous and wonderful moment that must have been. We remember that in the book of Acts when Stephen, we think of his name the same as our brother Steve, when Stephen was stoned to death and it said, and he saw heaven opened and he saw Jesus standing. And Lord, we think this morning that Jesus Christ 
when Steve's spirit took wings into his presence, must have been standing there, and that the very angels of heaven would be rejoicing, not from just one soul that was saved, but from the myriad of souls that found Christ as their personal Savior through the witness of our brother uh, uh, Steve Rowland. Lord, we pray that you'd undertake to bless us here. Bless us as we come to the table. We pray, Lord, that this table, remembering Christ's death until he comes, will be more precious than ever to us this morning. In Christ's precious name, amen.